This is a work of fiction. Honest. Ragbag presents Rollywood, episode 9. The last one, it's the last part of this one, episode 9. Written and performed by Frank Burton. The story you're listening to right now is being released as a book, by the way. It will also be called Brollywood. It's the third in the Ragbag series, the first two being Everything I Am and Getting Away With It. Don't worry if you're not familiar with those books or the original podcast that spawned them. This is a good place to start. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting this show by buying several copies of all three books and giving them away to everyone you know, or just give one book to one person. That's a reasonable start. Let's get on with the story. Benedict did indeed have a stiff drink at the hotel bar. We ordered some more and took them up to my room. OK, I said. Are you ready to spill the beans? It's not easy, Benedict began carefully. I know how highly you think of Mr Noddy. What's Noddy got to do with it? Everything, said Benedict. Now, obviously I don't know him like you do. I don't know him at all. But as far as I can tell, the pair of us have been had. Had? In what way? You've seen the back of the van? I have, I said. So what's Noddy done? Robbed the bank himself and run off with the money? He's done the direct opposite of that. Eh? Think about it. You could just tell me what's happened. What's the opposite of robbing a bank and running away with the money? I would say... Not robbing a bank. And... Not running away with the money? Exactly. That's exactly what he's done. You're going to have to offer up some further information here, Benedict. We wandered around the conversational houses for a while longer until Benedict finally cracked. He told me what happened. It wasn't what I'd expected, but his description was entirely accurate. Noddy had done the direct opposite of robbing a bank of running away. Here's what happened. We'd parted ways on the middle floor. While I headed into the recreation room, Benedict descended to the vault. Compared to my contribution at this point, Benedict's side of the plan was very simple. There were three large cardboard boxes filled with stacks of notes, mostly just blank strips of paper with a series of convincing counterfeited fifties on top. Benedict's job was to unload the fakes, replace them with the loot, then haul the boxes upstairs to the van. In a matter of seconds, it was clear there would have to be a change of plan. He ripped the brown tape off the first of his boxes and opened up the flaps. He closed them again. He inspected the side of the box. This was definitely the box he'd brought down here yesterday. The words Property of Marvel Studios was scrawled on the side in his own handwriting. He opened the box again. Inside were two large metal cylinders resembling the type of oxygen masks used in deep sea diving, although he couldn't be sure. Alongside them were several small plastic boxes, a large collection of baked bean tins and several boxes of Weetabix. He ripped the tape off the next box, still half hoping to find all the counterfeit notes inside. That is not what he found. 
What the hell are you doing here? Benedict exploded. Noddy stood up. Ah, oh, feels good to stretch my legs, he said. I've been curled up in that same position for 24 hours at least. If you wanted to participate in the heist, Mr Noddy, you could have simply volunteered. There was no need to stow away. Yes, about that, said Noddy. I'm afraid to say I owe you an apology, Mr Cumberbatch. I haven't been entirely honest with either of you. You've lied to us, you mean? Yes, I've lied to you. I'm essentially a con man. It's what I do. Frank knows this, so it should come as less of a surprise to him. But you, I expect you feel a little let down. Just tell me what you're doing here, Sir Benedict. Are we robbing this bank or not? Do you want to rob this bank? said Noddy. Of course I don't want to, Benedict snapped. There are a thousand things I'd rather be doing with my time, but here we are. I have some good news for you, said Noddy. We're not robbing this bank. If you wouldn't mind helping me set a few things up in here, that would be most helpful. We have around 15 minutes until the security cameras kick back in. I'm supposed to be meeting Frank back at the van in around eight minutes' time. We can get this done in eight minutes, then you can pop off and do one of those thousand other things you'd rather be doing. As he was saying all this, Noddy was carefully unloading the oxygen tanks and food supplies from the first box. Then he ripped off the tape to the third box and pulled out some plastic boxes from inside. Would you mind helping? said Noddy politely. Seven and a half minutes on the clock. What do you want me to do? Empty all these boxes out, then we're going to build me a cardboard house. Benedict did as he was told and removed the plastic boxes one by one. Let me get this right, he said. You're going to live here, in the vault. Temporarily, yes. And the money's staying here. Yes. So when these other hypothetical people arrive to clear this place out, I'll be here, waiting for them. What are you going to do? There's five of them, right? Sorry to bring your age into this, but how's an old man in a box going to take on five bank robbers? I may be an old man in a box, as you say, said Noddy, but I... One second. Noddy pulled a pair of scissors from his pocket and began cutting away the side section of one of the cardboard boxes. What are you doing? said Noddy. When I'm finished, said Noddy, these three boxes will appear roughly as they were before, one on top of the other, with a second box on the side. On the inside, there'll actually be one big box containing myself and my supplies. I can eat, I can drink, I can breathe, I can... To be honest, you don't need to know about the toilet stuff. Rest assured, I have that covered too. If my calculations are correct, the hand will be here in a matter of weeks. Benedict stood back, watching as Noddy snipped away at the cardboard, moving from one strategic point to another. Calculations. Forgive me, Mr Noddy, but from what I've gathered, you don't actually know if these people are real or not. You're right, said Noddy, I don't. All I know is the plans yourself and Frank drew up to rob Brollywood Bank were stolen in what was clearly a targeted attack by a highly sophisticated group of people. If it wasn't the hand, it'll be something like them. That's why I'm here. I'm here to meet them. Ah, said Benedict. Right. I see what's happening here. You sold this to me as a means of protecting this money. That's the only reason I'm here, by the way. Well, that plus the coronavirus putting my next film shoot on hold, which means I needed an excuse to get out of the house. First world problems and all that. What I'm saying is, I thought we were protecting this money. We're not, are we? We're providing you, a self-confessed bank robber, with the opportunity to meet up with some fellow bank robbers. To do what? Exchange notes? That's about the size of it, yes, said Noddy. But no, I'm not quite the scammer you think I am. I really am here to protect this money. 
That's the first priority, in fact. I don't know if Frank mentioned this ethical code of ours. I don't have time to hear it, said Benedict. I have four minutes left. I'll give you the potted version, said Noddy. In any given situation, we are the good guys. Summarising this conversation to me later at the hotel, Benedict admitted to being tempted to pursue this subject further. He was curious as to what Noddy's position on Brollywood Bank itself was. Did he consider the community to be the good guys, in comparison to Brollywood, or were they more like allies? Benedict himself will be the first to admit Brollywood itself was little more than a rich boys club. But maybe he was being too hard on himself. Brollywood provided a safe space for some questionable behaviour, as I'd seen with my own eyes. But let's not forget Jason Isaac's puppet theatre. Sure, Brollywood Bank was a rich boys club. There was no disputing that. But rich boys are people too, aren't they? They need a space in which to be themselves, not the characters they spend hours and hours of every single day pretending to be. But of course, Benedict didn't say any of this, because he only had four minutes left on the clock. Instead, he said, Just tell me this. Earlier on, you interrupted yourself. I asked how you're going to take on a team of five bank robbers when you're, with all due respect, just an old man in a box. And you said, I may be an old man in a box, but... And then got distracted by something else. So let's talk about that in the three and a half minutes we have left. Let's say the hand is a real organisation. What are you actually going to do when they crack their way through those doors? Ah, yes, said Noddy. You're right. I didn't finish that sentence, did I? My simple explanation is that I'm going to talk to them. Talk? Just as we're doing now. You see, strictly speaking, you're a bank robber, aren't you? I prevented you from robbing this bank in very much the same way, just by talking. You also happen to have physically sabotaged our whole operation. Yes, said Noddy. Sorry about that. Let's cut to the chase, said Benedict. What exactly are you going to say? How are you going to persuade these people to reject the opportunity to steal a hundred million pounds? Let's bear in mind, if they've made it as far as getting inside the vault, they can walk away with that money and not even have to worry about the authorities. They'll know full well the great Brollywood bank heist will never be reported as a crime. So what exactly are you going to say? First of all, I'll tell them who I am, said Noddy as he hauled the second of the two large oxygen tanks into the box he was standing in. Then I'll tell them what I know about them, or at least what I think I know. Then I'll ask them some questions. From that point, it's difficult to know what will happen. It all depends on what they say, I suppose. But rest assured, however the conversation goes down, that money will remain in this vault. As I say, I'm going to tell these people who I am. That means fully disclosing the details of the community, including the resources we have at our disposal. Frank hasn't told you how powerful we are. I know he hasn't because, as much as I trust the man personally, he doesn't know how powerful the community really is. If I need to disclose that information, I will. If my meeting with our new friend gets, for want of a better phrase, out of hand, I'll just come out with it. I'll tell them everything. And when they've heard what I have to say, there is no possible way they'll consider touching that money. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they left without saying another word. Benedict was going to remark upon how preposterous this all sounded, to him at least. But he was conscious of the time. He was also rather distracted by the fact that Noddy was now completely obscured from view, speaking from inside his boxes, alongside his collection of supplies. All he could see was one hand poking through one of the flaps, offering him a roll of tape. Would you mind? 
Noddy's voice called from the other side of the cardboard. Just seal off the top three strips. That should make it look convincing enough. Benedict took the roll of tape. For a moment he just held it in his hands, as though unsure of how to operate such a thing. Then he said, Are you actually going to live off cold baked beans and Weetabix? How long's that going to last? And what do you have to drink? Oh, said Noddy, I do have a couple of boxes of water. Boxes? You know, it's like that wine that comes in a box, but it's water. Right. Surely that will run out at some point. I can ration it, said Noddy. They'll be here before dehydration becomes a real issue. And if not, you can't actually get out of here once the vault is sealed. There's a camera in the corner. I'll wave at it until the security guard lets me out. Really? How will you explain yourself? Oh, that's easy, said Noddy. Long story. I'm an electrical engineer who was called in to replace some wiring, but ended up getting locked in overnight. I've actually had to use that one before under slightly different circumstances. It worked nicely. You better go. Benedict checked his watch again and realised he'd gone a little over time. He finished off the last of the tape, said a quick farewell to the old man in the box, sealed up the vault and ran up the stairs. You don't seem surprised, said Benedict. Surely you can't have known. Trust me, I was not expecting this, I said, but you're absolutely right, I'm not surprised. I knew there was something Noddy wasn't telling me, not because he was acting suspiciously, but because that's the way Noddy is. Nothing is ever straightforward. Can you explain this to me, he said. I just can't get my head around what's happening. I shook my head. Sorry, I said, it makes sense to me, but... I think maybe I'll have to write a book about it and then you can read it. Don't go to all that trouble on my account, he said. No, I said, I think it's quite a good idea, actually. All this stuff that's happened over the last few weeks, I think it would make a great book. You don't even know half of the stuff I've been up to. I haven't just attempted a bank robbery. I fell in love with a woman and burned a house down. I made a new friend. I bonded with my crazy uncle. The woman I fell in love with died. I successfully passed myself off as the lead singer of Wet Wet Wet. I watched a famous man eat human flesh. I'm currently drinking whiskey in a hotel with a film star, attempting to explain the lengths to which a secret organisation will go to infiltrate another secret organisation. Tell me that wouldn't make a great book. It all sounds very confusing. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Creating order from chaos. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason books get divided into chapters and paragraphs and so on. You're not upset by all this, said Benedict. Mr Noddy lying to you and everything. No, I said. In a way I'd be disappointed if Noddy told me the actual truth as it stands. I like hanging around with him because he tells good stories. Stories are all about withholding information, are they not? Not necessarily. OK, point taken. Stories are about other things, the experience of being human, etc., I like Raymond Carver as much as the next pretentious artist, but I have to say I like Noddy's stories more. That's the basic trick at the centre of Noddy's stories, as well as most popular fiction, let's be honest. Withholding information and either revealing it at the end, or better still, revealing some other bit of information that's been hiding in plain sight the whole time. That's the kind of thing I like. I agree, said Benedict. Those kind of stories are good fun. But only when they're happening to someone else. We're living through this one ourselves. I can tell you, Frank, having Mr Noddy literally jumping out of a box like a rabbit from a hat was in itself quite an impressive trick. 
If the stunt had taken place in a Marx Brothers film, I'd have been delighted. But it didn't. It happened to me. Come on, I said. No one died. We're all okay. Noddy's assured you your money is safe, and I trust him. He wouldn't be doing this if he didn't have an incredibly well-thought-out strategy behind him. I can see he's made the effort, said Benedict. I just don't want to be involved in any of this anymore. You may trust the old man in the box, but I'm afraid to say I don't. Tomorrow I'll be officially stepping down from my position as Brollywood's company secretary. I'll withdraw the few thousand I have stashed away in there. No one will miss it. No one will miss me either. It's not really a social club. It's the opposite of that. It's a place where people can go to get away from society. I really don't need it. I'm a Buddhist, as you know. That's my thing. I don't need to travel all the way to Lincolnshire to meditate. Don't get me wrong, this decision isn't purely a reaction to what Mr Noddy did. Today was just the final straw. Seeing famous man who cannot be named for legal reasons today simply confirmed there are certain characters I'd rather not associate myself with. If Hoppo knew what that place had turned into, well, I'm sure he'd appreciate the irony, but whatever. I'm much better off out of there. Go for it, I said. Sounds like you've made the right choice. Benedict drained the rest of his glass, placed it gently on the bedside table, and exhaled slowly. I feel like you're angry with me, I said. I am a bit, he admitted. Why? You don't seem yourself, Frank, that's the problem. We've been swindled by a man who's supposedly some great friend of yours, and you've forgiven him, as though being lied to is all part of a game the pair of you are playing. It's bizarre. I see what you mean, I said. One thing I don't understand is why did he bother lying to us in the first place? It's not like it's an easy con for him to have pulled off. I sealed those boxes myself. Somehow he even managed to get the weight distribution right so he and his supplies could pass off for some stacks of paper. Plus, he'd have needed an accomplice from the community on the scene to seal him back up again with the exact same brand of tape. All that effort and for what? Why not just tell us he wanted to camp out in the vault? We could have arranged that without even doctoring the security footage. That would have been so much easier. I don't know, I said. From what I've gathered, the community do this sort of thing all the time. It may seem like a big effort to us. We're not part of that world. Is that the reason for all this secrecy, do you think? Are we just a couple more fools to these people? I don't think so, I said. I suspect it's all about mine and Noddy's friendship. If Noddy had said, I want you guys to help me camp out in the Brollywood bank vault so I can wait for the hand to arrive, with no means of defending myself against attack, living in darkness, immobile, for potentially weeks on end, living off basic rations, hope that's okay, I expect you know what my immediate response would be. You'd say no, said Benedict. Exactly. Noddy can't possibly pull off the same kind of jobs he did in his youth. He has a heart condition. He has the patience, sure. We're talking about a man who, not so long back, deliberately got himself locked up for a whole 12 months. In theory, a few weeks in the solitary confinement of the Brollywood vault would be a walk in the park. But you're right, I'd still say no. I spent years assuming I'd lost him forever. There's no way I'd agree to help Noddy put himself in that kind of danger. I suppose this is a strange conundrum I've got myself into here, because now that I know he's actually done it, there's no way I'll attempt to stop him. All things considered, I ought to be marching back in there, demanding that Noddy be released from the vault. But I'm not going to do that. I guess that's the genius of Noddy's plan, that he knew that. He knew that I'd initially object, 
but I also knew that, once he was in there, I'd respect his decision. It really is, I have to say, infinitely impressive. Benedict poured himself another drink, peering across at the empty corner on the opposite side of the room. I'm sorry, I added. Apology accepted, he said quietly. Whatever it is you're apologising for. Well, I said, I don't really know, but I'm sorry anyway. I appreciate you making the effort, said Benedict, examining the contents of his glass for a moment. What is it, I said. Seriously, what have I done, mate? Mate, said Benedict, shaking his head. It's nice to hear you call me that, but frankly it's a slap in the face hearing you talk about your great friend, Mr Noddy, who apparently can't put a foot wrong. We've known each other for over two years now, Frank. We've been through a lot together over the last two weeks alone. Still, I don't think I've ever heard you refer to me as your friend. Mate, sure, that's an off-the-cuff remark that applies to almost anyone. Are we friends, Frank? I laughed for a couple of seconds and then stopped. I straightened my face. Of course we're friends, I said. It doesn't always feel that way. I think very highly of you, Frank, which is why I'm still around, but... I actually think very highly of you too, I said. I'm sorry, OK, I know I keep saying that, but I just want you to understand I... Let's put it this way. I've been rejected too many times. It's hard for me to let people into my life. My philosophy is, what's the point of holding a grudge? If I held a grudge against everyone who's let me down in my life, I'd be truly miserable. I don't want to feel that way. Maybe that goes some way to explaining why I can't be bothered getting angry about Noddy's underhand tricks. Perhaps it also explains why it takes such a long time for me to form meaningful friendships. I know I refer to Noddy as my good friend, but that's only because I was forced to share a cell with him for six whole months. I had no means of escape. But let me say this, Benedict Cumberbatch. You are my friend, and I would do most things for you. I was going to say anything, but I don't want to get carried away. I've already attempted a bank robbery for you today. Please do rest assured, you are the reason I put on this kilt this morning. Not Noddy, not the community, whatever they are. I did it for my good friend, Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict stood up and stretched his arms out wide. I know we're not supposed to be doing this right now, he said, but let's get stuck into this hug. It's OK, I said. You're part of my support bubble. I hugged him. Am I? he said. Yes, I said. It's you and my Uncle Claude. I haven't seen anyone else apart from in outdoor locations and, well, whatever it was that happened in that bank earlier on. I suppose we'd better forget about that now, right? Well, said Benedict, it's nice to be part of your bubble. I'd love to come and meet your Uncle Claude sometime. He does sound like an interesting chap. He's not, I said quickly, but you're welcome to come over at Christmas time when all this Covid business is finished with. Oh, I'm sure it'll all be over by Christmas, he said. I realise that's a famous line from 1914, but let's just hope. Hope sounds good to me, I said. I drove back to Claude's house that evening. I found him sitting in the living room, watching TV in his face mask. He was still wearing the kilt. It is very comfortable, this thing, you know he said, running his fingers over the fabric. Very good for wearing round the house. I honestly prefer it to a pair of shorts. I thought you would, I said. How was the trip? He said. Good, thanks. 
I had a good catch-up with Benedict. Thanks again for letting me add him to our bubble. Oh, that's okay. I didn't really have anyone else in mind, I'm afraid. He said he might pay us a visit at Christmas time if bubbles are still a thing at that point. Lovely. I'll give him my take on Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> really? No, not really. Just a little joke. I've not seen it. I laugh. <laughs> Very good. Good to have you back, Frank. Yeah, good to be back, I say. I'm thinking of heading off again soon, though. Restrictions are mostly gone again. Campsites are back open. And get back in the van. Oh, I appreciate your hospitality. Well, you're welcome here any time, you know. I know, I said. It's good to know there's a home to come back to. Claude turned off the TV and stared at me. What? I said. Nothing, he said. It's nice to hear you call this place home, that's all. Yeah, I said. It's nice to be able to say it. I stared back at him for a moment. I'll stick the kettle on, I said. Lying in bed that night, I texted Jamie. Sorry I've been out of touch for a while. I have so much to tell you. He texted back a while later. Let's catch up soon. I gave him a call. He answered with a whispered, Hello! How about now? I said. I can't talk now, he said softly. You working? No, I just have to sort something first. As I say, we'll catch up soon, mate. Sorry. Don't apologise. Trust me, he said. I need to apologise. I mean that sincerely. I have to go. I lay awake for a while, wondering what Jamie could possibly be sorry about. I knew I'd taken a risk by telling him all those details about Noddy and Benedict and whoever else I'd told stories about, but really, who was he going to tell? Even if he'd attempted to sell my stories to a newspaper, they'd have laughed in his face. Jamie wouldn't have done that anyway. We hadn't been friends for very long, but I knew that wasn't his style. He was working as a nurse during the worst public health crisis for at least a hundred years. Jamie was one of the good guys. The next morning I cooked breakfast for Uncle Claude and sorted some peanut butter on toast for myself. I checked my phone. There was a text. It was from Glinda. Glinda said, I really need to apologise, Frank. Just so you know, I'm not actually dead. My parents aren't dead either. I should have said, I don't want to talk to you anymore and that letter you sent me was a little bit creepy, so I'd rather not remain friends. Instead of doing that, for some reason, cowardice mixed with sleep deprivation, I guess, I took a more extreme solution. This, as Jamie quite rightly points out, is just not cricket. So this is my way of apologising for the way I've behaved. I must also say sorry for getting Jamie involved. I shouldn't have asked him to help me to propagate these stupid lies. I know you think I'm a good person, Frank, but I think your judgement may have been clouded somewhat. Also, I've noticed that people have this habit of assuming that I'm some kind of saint because of what I do for a living. The pandemic hasn't helped. The fact of the matter is, I'm not a very good person. This is not the first time I have said or done something stupid. It's not even the first time I've pretended to be dead in order to avoid someone's calls. So there you have it. That's the kind of person I am. Now that you know that, perhaps we can agree to never speak to each other again. For what it's worth, I think you're a decent bloke. You're just not for me, and I am definitely not for you. I wish you the very best with whatever it is you're doing from this point on. Bye. I spent the rest of the day walking through the neighbourhood and beyond, reflecting on what Glinda had said. 
I thought about a bunch of other stuff too, like my decision to move out of Uncle Claude's place, and of course, the current situation at Brollywood. Noddy would be down there right now, sitting in a dark cardboard box, eating cold beans from a tin. A large part of me was fine with this. There had been plenty of occasions in the past where I'd reassured myself that Noddy knows what he's doing. But then there was that small part of me that wondered, had the community allowed themselves to unintentionally abandon their commitment to careful planning? Noddy once told me the community only ever engaged with the outside world when they were 100% certain of the outcome, or at least as close to that percentage as possible. Now here he was camping out in a bank vault on the basis of what seemed to be a hunch at best. Well, I thought, it'll all figure itself out. When I got back to the house there was a large envelope addressed to me on the doormat. The last time a package arrived addressed to me, Uncle Claude had opened it, assuming it was a present for him. Luckily he hadn't noticed this one. Inside was a hand-drawn comic book, accompanied by a note that looked like it had been written on an old typewriter. The note said, We thought this would be of some interest to you, Frank. This contains no factual information, but perhaps the story within should furnish you with a fuller understanding of how the community see the hand. By the way, I am the only community member to have voted against this mission to intercept the hand. I am also the only community member who doesn't believe in the hand's existence. I also believe my fellow community members have collectively lost their minds. Read the comic and you be the judge. All the best, Spoon. I rolled the papers up and took them straight up to my room. I made a coffee and sat in bed digesting the comic which was simply called The Hand. Whoever was responsible for drawing the characters wasn't that technically skilled, but at least you could say they'd done an interesting job. Each character had their own unique look, which despite them being humanoid, also made them roughly resemble their names, thumb, index, middle, ring and pinky. The story was about the Hand stealing the crown jewels from the Tower of London, with the intention of returning them to India, while keeping a small commission in gold for themselves. It was full of lines such as, Of course we can steal the crown jewels and return them to India. We are the hand. And the Tower of London is no match for us. Beef eaters, we eat beef eaters for breakfast. Right, fellow fingers? I'll cut a long story short. They stole the crown jewels with very little effort. The only brief twist in the tale was that when they arrived, the crown jewels weren't in the place the hand thought they would be. But then someone said, Oh, look, they're over there in the corner. So that was that. It was doubtful that Noddy himself took this sort of thing seriously. I don't think that was the point my community correspondent was making. The point was community operations were subject to a vote. The vote was passed because the community had elevated this mythological story into its own form of religion. And so, when the opportunity to potentially make contact with the hand had arisen, they jumped at the chance. All except one lone sceptic. It was a shame I couldn't thank Spoon for their efforts. At the very least, this had taken my mind off Glinda faking her own death in order to avoid speaking to me again. That evening, I called Jamie, expecting him to be busy again. He answered this time. Frank, he said. You sound serious, I said. This is actually a very serious situation, he said. What, you mean Glinda pretending to be dead? I'm very glad she finally told you. I've told her I'm very unhappy about this. As for my own part in all of this, I don't know what to say. It was a stupid thing to do. I'm not that fussed, I said, 
I've got lots of other things on my mind, more important than some childish games. If anything, I've found it quite amusing. Oh, I should add something to that. I was very relieved to hear Glenda and her parents didn't die. It's actually a huge weight off my mind. Yeah, but we're responsible for it. We put that weight on your shoulders in the first place. I was only saying to Benedict the other day, I can't be bothered bearing grudges. I'd rather just move on. OK, said Jamie. Let's do that. Let's move on. Great, I said. I got loads to tell you, mate. Oh, he said. Maybe your version of move on means something different. What does your version mean? It means move on, mate. Go our separate ways. Why? What have I done to you? Nothing. This is all about what I've done. I've told you I don't bear a grudge. Maybe you should. Surely that's up to me. Anyway, this is about something your ex-girlfriend did, which you ended up getting roped into. Ex, he said. Uh, I said. You didn't tell him, did you? Jamie was no longer addressing me. Apparently there was someone else in the room with him. I heard a whisper in the background in response. Just leave me alone, Jamie told the voice. Go upstairs. Let me talk to him on my own, for Christ's sake. His voice had an aggressive streak I'd never heard in him before. It was true. I didn't know him that well, but it took me by surprise. Right, he said, his regular easy-going air returning in a heartbeat. You'll have guessed already, but Glinda was in here. We're back together. Right, I said. I suppose that changes things a bit. I mean, friendship-wise, it's a bit awkward. I just don't think we can be friends, he said. That's the bottom line. We've both let you down, treated you badly. You're better off without us. I'm better off without Glinda, I said. But we can get past this, right? Maybe, he said. You know, maybe I'll see you around sometime. That's the best you can offer, I said. What do you want, Frank? I just want to be friends. That would be fine under normal circumstances, he said, but we're bang in the middle of a pandemic. We can't even go out for a beer without risking our lives. We've had some fun phone calls, sure, but it's time to call it a day. All these messages you keep sending me, I'm... What? Nothing. What were you going to say? Jamie let out a weary breath and said, I can see how Glinda felt, that's all. You're coming across as a little bit desperate. I don't mean to. I said quietly. Maybe that's what I am. Or was, at least. Desperate for some kind of companionship. I don't actually feel that way anymore. I've had a funny couple of weeks, but I feel a lot better for it. Let's just call it a day then, shall we, Frank? I just think it's a shame, that's all. We had some really good chats. We did, he said. But I'm not the great friend you seem to think I am. You're being hard on yourself. It was my idea, he snapped. There was that voice of his again. What? Glinda says, there's this guy who's been pestering me for contact. I tried letting him down gently, but I don't think he's listened. To be fair, I had no idea she was talking about you. So I said, just tell him you've had some tragic news. Then you texted and asked if I'd heard about Glinda's parents dying. I put two and two together. Then you sent her that letter. I guess it was posted before you'd heard the so-called news. It was, I said. Funny story, actually. It's not a funny story, said Jamie. Glinda phoned me up in tears, saying you'd sent her this creepy note in the post, whatever it was. I was furious with you, Frank. I lost it for a moment. I said, tell him you've died yourself. That'll show him. Send him a text. Pretend to be someone else. Why would you lie about something like that? 
he'll be sure to back off then. That's what she did. So, you see, Frank? Yeah, I said. I see. So, you agree. That's it. That's the end of you and me. It's going to have to be, isn't it? Yes. I did have this story to tell you, but don't worry. I'll just tell it to someone else. Of course, it goes without saying I'll be telling this story about Glinda's fake death as well. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't a nice thing to do, but sadly there aren't that many great stories about people being nice to each other. I suppose not. You're not going to put this in one of your books, are you? Yeah, I might. Will you fictionalise it, or will you use my real name? Mine's quite generic, but Glinda's a bit more identifiable. It's fine, I said, not wanting to put myself down too much, but my audience is very, 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 very small. In one way, it's a shame. In another way, I can say whatever I like in my books and in my podcasts without fear of repercussions. I've just finished writing a book about my involvement in an elaborate criminal conspiracy which I've never been prosecuted for. I'm thinking of calling the book Getting Away With It because why not? Likewise, myself and Benedict attempted to rob a bank the other day. I might as well write a book about that too. No one's listening, or at the very least there are people listening, but those people are actual fans of mine and they're not going to get me into trouble by blabbing about these potentially incriminating situations I somehow keep managing to land myself in. Yeah, said Jamie vaguely. I could hear the TV on in the background. I'll have to check your books out sometime. That's what they all say, I said. No one ever does, but as I say, that's kind of liberating in its own way. See you then. He said. Sure, I said. A couple of days later, I got back in the van and returned to the road. I had a fun few weeks on my own, staying wherever seemed like the next place to go, writing and podcasting as much as I could manage, living as cost-effectively as possible, while trying to ignore the fact that my money was slowly running out. Sponsorship deals for the podcast had completely dried up, and royalties from book sales were sporadic and tiny. If only I'd had the good sense to pop down to the Brollywood bank vault while I was there and help myself to a spare hundred grand. Would anyone have noticed or cared? I wasn't too concerned about my lack of funds. I had a feeling I'd be compelled to return to living at Uncle Claw's place for reasons beyond my control. Sure enough, on 31st of October, the UK entered its second national lockdown. I went back to live with Uncle Claude. I hadn't been paying much attention to the dates. Once I got settled back into Claude's guest room, I realised if it was now 31st of October, that meant Noddy had been camped in the vault at Brollywood Bank for over three months. Surely he'd given up by now. I hadn't heard anything from anyone. My correspondent from the community had sent me a couple of typewritten notes, bemoaning their colleague's obsession with the hand, which presumably meant Noddy's quest was an ongoing project. Benedict called me every couple of weeks, ostensibly to see how I was doing, but also to inquire as to whether I'd heard anything from Noddy. I hadn't. Benedict called me again in early November from a film set in Los Angeles. He said, Surely there must have been some kind of conclusion by now. For one thing, I'd be amazed if no one has opened those boxes yet. I'm no longer associated with the bank, aside from the fact that I'm keeping those boxes in the vault. Three large cardboard boxes with the words Property of Marvel Studios on them that could be easily resealed with no one suspecting a thing? Well, apparently that is yet to happen, I said. How can you be so sure? Well, let's say someone does open one of those boxes out of curiosity. There's Noddy, licking up the last morsel of Weetabix dust from the corner of a Tupperware container. 
Who's the first person they'll call? The police? Not likely. It's true, said Benedict. I would indeed be the first person to hear about that. So we pretty much know for certain that no one has opened Noddy's box, I said. Likewise, we know he can't have climbed out of that box of his own accord, said Benedict. Again, someone will have told me. So we can only assume he's still in there, I said, adding, after a moment's hesitation, alive or dead? Yes, said Benedict solemnly. We're going to have to do something about this, aren't we? I said. What did you have in mind? I don't know, I said. I suppose we'll have to go back in there. Hopefully it will be a rescue mission rather than... I do hope it's a rescue mission, said Benedict. How are we going to pull this off? I said. You're not officially a member anymore. I can make some calls, said Benedict. I still have a foot in the door. Those are my boxes. Can you get me back in there? I said. I can be Marty again. You can tell them I apologise for vandalising the place, say I'd make a fresh start, tell them I'd like to deposit some money. Maybe that'll whet their appetite. Good thinking, said Benedict. I'll make the call in a minute, while this is all fresh in my mind. How much shall I say you're depositing? I don't know, I said. What would be a reasonable sum? How much does the average member invest? Ten thousand, perhaps, said Benedict, as a starter. OK, tell them I'll deposit ten thousand. Set me up an appointment to head down there, ASAP. No problem. I'll get on the phone. And you'll be OK to... To get there? No problem. I have the address. No, I mean... Oh, you mean the outfit? I still have the kilt. I've even kept the tartan face mask. I didn't mean the face mask. Oh, so you mean... The money, Frank. Would you be OK withdrawing £10,000 in cash? Oh, I see what you mean. I said no. I have £56 in my current account and that's it. Savings? I haven't got any. OK. Sorry to pry into your personal affairs. I kind of assumed you were richer than me for some reason. Why did you think that? I don't know, said Benedict. You don't seem to care about money. That's a quality I've only ever witnessed in extremely wealthy people. Well, I said, it's a fine compliment. Sorry to have to burst that bubble. I'll send you the 10000 plus some extra for expenses. Just let me grab a pen. I gave Benedict my back's details. Then he said, right, I'll call the bank. Then I'll get Marty booked in for the Brollywood deposit. Cool, I said. Two hours later, Benedict called me back. He sounded out of breath. Change of plan, he said. Really? I said. You will not believe the conversation I just had. Here's my understanding of how Benedict's conversation with Brollywood went. He called the new company secretary, David Harewood. In the Brollywood community, David Harewood's nickname is Pecker. Nigel, greeted Pecker. How's it going? Not bad, thanks, said Benedict. Working on a new thing, not sure how it's going to turn out. Better not let them hear me. I'm on the set at the moment. Well, hope goes well for you, Nigel. Good to see you last week, by the way. Benedict's voice went squeaky for a moment. You saw me last week? Where? Brollywood, of course. Pecker, I'm in LA right now. How could I be in Lincolnshire too? Travel restrictions for one thing. I can't just pop over there without quarantining. Pecker laughed uneasily, unsure of what joke Benedict was trying to make. He said, Nigel, I don't quite know what you're getting at. Remember last week when you turned up with those two TV people? I'm sorry to say I've forgotten their names. I've forgotten I was even there, said Benedict. I know you're a busy man, Nigel, said Pecker but I'm surprised you don't recall any of this. 
You turned up twice, as a matter of fact. You were there with those two actors and their entourage on the Wednesday. The day before, you turned up with that security man. You needed to check all the weapons. Surely you remember that. Right, said Benedict slowly. It's all coming back to me now. So on Tuesday, I was there with the weapons chap, right? And I brought some boxes. That's right. More props for the vault. It's okay. There were plenty of room. Of course, the vault's a wide open space now. You've removed them all. Removed them. On Wednesday, said Pecker. Right? Right, said Benedict. Remind me what happened on Wednesday. I'm surprised you don't remember. As you say, Pecker, I'm a busy man. You collected all your boxes of props in the vault. Meanwhile, those two actors and their minders, whoever they were, caused all kinds of havoc in the recreation room. I've never seen anything like it before. Poor old Jason Isaacs and his puppet theatre torn apart. One of the minders had me pinned against the wall. The other had poor old Scarzi handcuffed to the bar. Most bizarrely of all, the actors had a security guard each in a double headlock. We stayed like that for ten whole minutes. They kept on shouting threats at us like, Oh, you Hollywood folks don't know anything about the real presses of a job. The soap actors, right? I'm sorry to have to say I've forgotten their names. It sounds snobbish. That's exactly what they were accusing me of, in fact. I asked them where I might have seen them before. They said, only the most popular show in Britain, thanks. And off they went on this long extended rant about the industry and how little respect they get for their hard graft. All very good points, I have to say. I'm not a snob myself, Nigel, as you know. I'd still be waiting tables myself if I'd have been born ten years earlier. Really? said Benedict. Why? Come on, Nigel. I appreciate you've got a lot on your plate, but don't tell me you've forgotten I'm black. Oh, right, I see what you mean. So, forgive me, Pecker. I think I may have missed part of what happened on Wednesday. I was moving those boxes at the time, right? So, how did this situation resolve itself? Well, said Pecker, hats off to Scarzi. He talked them down in the end. We're all on the same side, that sort of thing. I chipped in here and there, too. I did bit parts in soaps for years before I got a break. I think that's what persuaded them to loosen their grip on the security staff in the end. I may have bored them. It's as good a strategy as any, I suppose. What happened then? Well, now I come to think of it, Nigel, you were nowhere to be seen. The actors and their minders were ejected from the building. Considering their behaviour, I'm sure you can appreciate they won't be welcome back. Naturally, said Benedict. I don't think I've apologised for bringing them there in the first place, so, you know, sorry. That's OK, Nigel. The puppet theatre is broken beyond repair, but otherwise there's no harm done. Actually, from what I've heard, Scarzi's quite excited about the prospect of building a new one, so... Good for him, said Benedict. Indeed. So you see what's happened here, said Benedict. Kind of, I said. Isn't it obvious there were five of them? Mr Noddy was right, the hand robbed the bank, following our plans of a letter. Did they, though? I said. Oh, I see what you mean, said Benedict. No, they didn't. I called Pecker back a few minutes later, once I got a chance to think about it. I said, with all this disruption, maybe you should check the vault. Make sure the money's all there. The guards were away from their post for ten whole minutes, after all. I left the vault open and unattended while I was carting those boxes up and down the stairs. Just a precaution, obviously. I just think you should check. Pecker agreed it was a good idea. He called security and asked them to fully inspect the cash in the vault. They followed his instructions right away. 
They've just reported back there's nothing missing from the vault, not a penny. So Noddy was as good as his word, I said thoughtfully. He protected your money. Not my money any more, said Benedict, but yes, I'm happy to say his plan was successful. I'd thank him if I knew where he was. I'm sure he's okay, I said. What makes you so sure of that? Apparently the hand cleared the boxes from the vault, presumably taking Noddy with them. Considering their reputation, killing him and disposing of the evidence would be water off a duck's back. Nah, I said. Nah? That's right, I said nah. Even if the hand decided to resort to violence, Noddy has the skills to talk his way out of it. I may not know much about him, but one thing I know is that that man can talk. I do hope you're right, said Benedict. There's an easy way to find out, I said. Really? Yes, I have his phone number. I'll give him a call. I didn't call Noddy straight away. I went for a walk in the rain first. It felt very dramatic. I got very wet. I returned to my room and changed my clothes. Then I called Noddy. I wasn't really expecting a reply. Frank! Noddy exclaimed after two rings. Sorry, I've been meaning to call. Very busy. But it's OK. I can talk now. I heard you got out, I said. Yes. Benedict filled me in, sort of. I told him what I knew. That's all true, said Noddy. That's what happened. The one thing I don't know is what happened in that vault. Noddy laughed. I could hear him clapping his hands together down the line. You're not going to tell me, I said. Don't worry, I'll tell you. I've just been enjoying this part of the process, sharing this story with various community members. Now I get to share it with you too. Oh, so it's a good story, I said. I'd like to think so, yes. Go ahead. OK, said Noddy. The fact of the matter is, I wasn't quite prepared for three whole months of solitary confinement. I had a small collection of books, which I read several times over. My favourite was Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, a very long book in which very little happens. Like hardly anything at all. It's mostly just various characters sitting around waffling for page after page. They all have these great German names like Hans Kastorp and Herr Setembrini. I used to whisper to myself, I wonder how Hans Kastorp and Herr Setembrini are getting on, and I'd pick up the book. It's very comforting when you're trapped inside. So it's a good lockdown read, I said. Yes, he said. Next lockdown you should check it out. As it happens, we're back in lockdown again, I said. Did you know that? Oh yeah, said Noddy. It doesn't really affect us over here. I'm back in the community house. We class ourselves as one big family and rarely interact with the outside world. Thus far, no one has contracted the virus. We have no plans to mix with anyone beyond these walls for the foreseeable future. That's good. So, anyway, on with the story. What happened? OK, so there I was, reading my magic mountain, day after day, waiting for something to happen. Supplies were getting low. I was rationing the water. Sometimes I'd drink my own urine as a treat. That's what I called it. Believe it or not, that's how it felt. Uncomfortably warm, but very thirst-quenching. You don't need to know all of this. I'm just making the point I was living in that box for a really long time. Eventually, one afternoon, the vault was opened. A couple of security guards plonked a couple of boxes next to the one I was living in. I had a couple of spy holes directed towards the vault door. These new boxes were blocking my view somewhat, but helpfully I could read the inscription on the side. Property of Marvel Studios. I only had a day to wait. I hardly slept that night. I re-read The Magic Mountain, almost completing the whole thing cover to cover. Then Benedict walked in. 
Of course, it wasn't Benedict. I was ready and watching, as best as I could, with those boxes in the way. The thing is, with this impersonation thing, this business of capturing a person's essence, it only works if the person you're trying to convince isn't expecting an impersonator to walk through the door. So there I was, lying in wait for a Benedict Cumberbatch impersonator to enter the room. As soon as he did, I saw him for what he was. I tore open the box from the inside and stood to my feet, head poking outside my cardboard home for the first time in months. It almost felt like sticking my head out into the open air, despite the fact that we were three floors below the ground. The Benedict impersonator stared at me for a moment. I stared back. I didn't even need to say a word. He knew that I'd seen through his disguise, but he wouldn't give the game away that easily. He just stood there staring at me, neither of us saying a word for a while. Then I got cocky. I said, Middle? He said, What? I said, That's just a guess. You could be any of the five. My guess would be middle, but... What do you know about me? He said. I wasn't sure if this was a genuine inquiry or a rhetorical question. He repeated the words. What do you know about me? I said, Really? You want to know what I know? He said, Yes. So I told him what I knew, or thought I knew, about the hand, who they were, where they came from, various theories about what might have happened after they disappeared. He listened in stony silence, with nothing on his face to confirm or deny my claims. I added, And if you'll bear with me, I can tell you what I don't know. That's a longer list. First and foremost, I don't know if anything I just said is true. I don't know what you call each other. The names Thumb, Index, Middle, Ring and Pinky are presumably incorrect. The only thing I do know is that my friend had some plans to rob Brollywood Bank stolen in a targeted attack which could only have been achieved using government-grade surveillance tech. I know it was you who stole those plans based on the evidence that you're here in the vault, wearing what can only be described as a Cumberbatchy-type outfit. Judging by his work rate in the international films business, Benedict himself is probably out of the country at the moment, so you'll have had to talk yourself out of that if the question arose. You'll have done your preparation. Presumably, you'll have had at least one colleague upstairs impersonating a different celebrity. Presumably, you've gone for someone famous but not immediately recognisable. Uh, a minor pop star, perhaps, or an actor from a soap opera. The man visibly flinched at that moment, the first telltale sign that I was on to him. Then he straightened his face, pretending he hadn't moved at all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. My name is Benedict Cumberbatch. People say I'm a little shorter in real life. Maybe that's where you're getting confused. Anyway, if you wouldn't mind helping me out here, I have some boxes to shift upstairs. Hold your horses, I said. You don't want to know who I am? Not particularly. I'm curious as to how you came to be lurking in the Brollywood vault, but there isn't time to hear it now, if you wouldn't mind helping. So, that's what I did. My joints were creaking like hell through lack of activity, but I managed to make a couple of trips up and down the stairs. When we'd cleared the place out, the fake Benedict jumped into the front of his van and started the engine. Hang on, I called at him through the window. What about the money? Isn't that why you came? I can assure you I didn't come here for money. I came here to collect some props, which, as you'll see by the label, are property of Marvel Studios. How you came to be hiding inside one will have to remain a mystery. He paused and added, Can I give you a ride somewhere? I said, Yes, please, but... I told you, he said, I don't want to know who you are. But I'm the same as you, I said, suddenly sounding desperate. 
I'm a bank robber, believe it or not. How do you think I managed to get myself in the vault in the first place? I can assure you, he said, you are nothing like me and my friends. I know you think you caught me out with that soap actor comment. I happen to be here with a couple of soap actors, that's all. You took me by surprise. Good idea, I said. It would be a bold move indeed if your friends rocked up dressed as Idris Elba and Daniel Craig. Much better to go low-key. I opened the passenger door and sat down next to him. So your friends will be out in a minute, right? That's the plan. Four of them? There'll be four people joining us, yes. Come on, I said. You have to admit, you don't meet people like me every day. Have you ever met someone like me? Someone who actually knows who you are? I will say this, he said. What you said to me down in the vault, that was very interesting and very impressive. You don't even know the half of it yet, I said. Wait until you hear about the community. No, he said. I don't want to hear about your community, whatever that means. Please don't say another word. Just politely accept my offer of a ride. I'll drop you at the nearest village. Thank you. A moment later, the man's four friends were ejected from the building. Just before they jumped in the back of the van, the fake Benedict waved at them through the window. Guys, he called. Slight change of plan. The boxes are in the back. We're giving this gentleman a lift into town. None of them seemed surprised. Nice to meet you, one of them called at me. What's your name, dude? Funny thing is, I said, I don't have a name. No birth certificate. I was born and raised in secret. Can you believe that? Sounds a bit far-fetched, he said, but I'll take you at your word. The four of them jumped into the back of the van alongside the boxes, leaving me and the fake Benedict alone together in the front. As he switched to reverse gear, he noticed a book in my pocket. I was wearing this big comfy cardigan. You won't have seen it. I only wear it around the house in winter. It was warm enough in the vault, stifling in fact, but I'd taken to wearing my big cardigan as a kind of comfort blanket. I'm pointing this out because my big cardigan has these two pockets in the front, large enough to comfortably house a copy of Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain. What are you reading? he said. I glanced down at the huge tome in my pocket, forgetting it was there in spite of its size. I said, Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain. Really? he said. His RP pronunciation slipped for a moment. Was this his real voice, I wondered? He sounded almost brummy. Why would a member of the hand have a Birmingham accent? Unless... I let the theories lie for a moment. It's good, I said. Goes on a bit, but I suppose that's part of the charm. The sheer relentlessness of it. I love death in Venice, said the fake Benedict. Oh, you would love this one too, I said, pulling the book from my pocket. Have this on me. I've read it enough now. Wow, said fake Benedict his voice dipping out again slightly. Thanks. It's the least I can do, I said. I just prevented you from stealing 100 million pounds. You didn't, he said. You must have put a hell of a lot of work into this. I haven't. Also, I continued breezily, you could have easily killed me. That shows you have a moral code. I'm really pleased to see that. Instead of burying my body and taking the money, you've chosen to let me go and leave the cash behind. I guess this is game over, right? You wouldn't try to rob the place again. I mean, that money's right there, just sitting right there. But I know for sure the community would never go for that. If a job fails the first time, that shows it was never a foolproof scheme. And you're the same as us. I don't know it, but I can feel it. I feel that you are the same as me. Fake Benedict didn't say anything in response. A couple of minutes later, he pulled over, parking up next to a bus stop. I'm going to have to let you out here, he said. Thank you again for the book. 
I stepped out into the street, feeling like Armstrong on the moon. Fake Benedict passed me something through his window. He said, It's only fair you take this in return. He drove off without another word. I stood in stunned silence as I watched the van disappear around the corner. Then I looked down at the book in my hands. A notebook, with the words, Frank and Benedict's secret robbing diary on the front. I couldn't help myself. I yelped like a puppy. <laughs> Seriously? We'll have to meet at the park again sometime soon, said Noddy. Brings a nice sense of closure somehow, doesn't it? After all that we've been through, the least you can say is, I got my book back. I can say more than that, I said. I could write a whole book about all this. You could, said Noddy. You wouldn't mind if I did? Why not, he said. The worst that could happen is the book becomes successful and I become some kind of legendary figure. I can handle that. I'm sure you can. We fell silent for a moment. Listen, I said, I'm glad you got out of there, OK? I was never in any danger, he said. There was always the backup plan of leaving of my own accord if the hand didn't turn up. How do you feel having met them, I said. The hand, or whatever it is they call themselves. It's difficult to put it into words, said Noddy. I feel like I've completed the game. I've achieved everything I want to achieve. All I really wanted to do was meet these people face to face, to know that I wasn't just chasing some fantasy. Sure, it's a little disappointing they weren't prepared to engage with me properly, but what else could I expect? Secret societies don't just casually hook up with other secret societies. It's not the done thing. Spending time in their company was enough. At the time, there was something very satisfying about hearing this tale. Later, when we said our goodbyes, it occurred to me that all the stress and aggravation myself and Benedict had been through over the last few months was all because Noddy wanted to spend a few minutes in this particular person's company. Admittedly, anything I'd been through that year paled in comparison to the sacrifices Noddy himself had made. In that respect, this story doesn't have a great deal to do with me. Like most of the things that have happened in my life, I just happened to be there at the time. That's fine with me. I spent the next few days in a pleasant state of relief. As annoying as this second lockdown had proven to be, at least I didn't have to worry about Noddy anymore. I had plenty of other things to worry about, of course. In a sense, this whole Brollywood business had served as a nice distraction from my own depressing financial state, which was itself a stark reminder of my own lack of commercial success. It's true that I didn't care about commercial success. I still don't. I just wanted to be happy. Was I happy? I was a single man in his forties, trapped in his uncle's house in a pandemic with no clear end in sight. I had no money, no home, no children, a small handful of friends and one remaining family member who annoyed me most of the time. The most positive aspects of my life concerned my podcasts, which no one listened to, and my books, which no one read. I realise the fact that you're openly contradicting that statement by listening to these words right now. And I thank you for that. I'm not looking for sympathy. The only reason I'm dwelling on the sorry state of my life at the end of 2020 is that I want you to understand why I did what I did next. That pleasant state of relief I mentioned earlier. That was a real feeling. It felt like Noddy's account of his escape from the Brollywood vault had brought this weird, wonderful and possibly overly complicated story to a neat conclusion. 
I was already sketching out the book I'd write based on these events. Noddy's meeting with the Han would be written in the last chapter, closing with that final reveal, that moment when fake Benedict hands over the robbing diary. But something was bothering me. I couldn't help feeling like this wasn't quite over. Somewhere along the line we'd left a trail of breadcrumbs which any potential investigator could follow. True, we hadn't actually robbed the bank in the end. The money was sitting untouched in the vault. But there had been plenty of suspicious behaviour, not least of all from the mayhem caused by the hand. I knew from what Benedict had told me that Brollywood would be more than willing to bring in their own team of private eyes if anyone within the organisation suspects foul play. Surely most people would agree the definition of foul play ought to include holding four security guards in a pair of double headlocks. Was an investigation on the way? I honestly couldn't tell. But the possibility was there. That's what bothered me. It took me a few days, but I got there. I isolated our one irreversible error. I phoned Benedict. Hi, he chirped at me from Los Angeles. How are things? Heard from Mr Noddy yet? I have, I said. It's good news. I told him the story. He agreed. It was good news. But, I added, there's a problem. I'm starting to worry we've given ourselves away. How's that? said Benedict. The original plan was to leave everything as it was before, I said. Right? We set the cameras back to their original settings. We didn't need to change any passwords or rearrange the furniture. Anything that would look suspicious? Everything apart from the stash of counterfeit money in the vault, said Benedict, which would of course be discovered eventually. Luckily it didn't come to that, so yes, as you say, we left Brollywood exactly as its members would expect to find it. Yes, but we didn't, I said. Are you sure? The guns, I said. We replaced the guns with fakes and didn't put the real ones back. There's a very good reason for that, said Benedict. Those young lads shouldn't be carrying live weapons around. It's incredibly dangerous. We've done them an enormous favour and no one will suspect a thing. What about when they bring an actual weapons specialist in to test them? Presumably they do these things from time to time. Health and safety for one thing. You're right, Benedict conceded. The trick will be uncovered eventually, but how could they trace the switch back to us? The security footage, I said. We didn't bother deleting the recordings from the previous day. They'll still have that footage on file, in a hard drive somewhere. Me and you entering the building, taking those guns, bringing the other ones back. They'd have to be pretty smart to track that footage down, said Benedict. There's no paper trail. The last official weapons test was two months previously, February 2020. The next is in February 2021. That's when they'll discover what we've done, in fact. The first thing they'll do is look into what happened at the last official test. No one will suspect it was you and me. The only people who witnessed the trick were the security guards who were on duty that day. Three of them have left the job already. The fourth one probably won't be far behind. No one stays in that position for long. OK, I said, but what if... Put it out of your mind, Frank, he said. There is no possible way any of this will come back to haunt us, unless you or I does something stupid like, I don't know, records all the details in a memoir of some kind. I told you I'm thinking of doing exactly that, I said. Aha, he said. Good one. No, really. Listen, Frank, I have a scene coming up, so I'll have to cut you short. Just don't worry, OK? I won't, I said. And I meant it. For one thing, Benedict had convinced me there was no reason to worry. Also, i just had another thought. Brollywood Bank was no longer protected by a team of armed guards, or at least it wouldn't be until February next year. 
As I say, I want you to understand why I did what I did. I don't consider myself to be a particularly good person, but I'd prefer it if you didn't see me as a bad guy. I'm just a guy. In the grand scheme of things, actually, rather than try to justify my actions, I'll just tell you what my actions were. Make up your own mind. The first thing I should tell you is that shortly after my phone call with Benedict, I checked my bank balance and couldn't help noticing I had an additional £10,000 in my account. Clearly, Benedict had forgotten he'd given it to me. I'd forgotten about it myself. I'd have to give it back, of course. I will give it back, I said to myself, but not just yet. On 14th of December 2020, I arrived at Brollywood Bank, dressed in a kilt and tartan face mask. I didn't recognise the security guard. He asked me who I was. I told him I was a member of the bank. He asked me for a name. I said, Marty Pello. The guy seemed a little put out by the fact that I didn't have an appointment to be there that day, and due to Covid restrictions I really ought to have booked in advance. I revealed to him that I was carrying a suitcase containing £10,000 in cash which I would like to place in the vault. Also, I added, I'd quite like to see the vault myself. It's the one thing Benedict left off his guided tour earlier in the year. The guard perked up considerably as soon as I mentioned the money, almost as though he was going to personally benefit in some way. He even carried my case down the stairs for me. We stepped into the vault. I distracted him with a conversation about the relative merits of Tinder versus OK Cupid, a subject upon which I'd done a healthy amount of research on, having assumed the guard to be a man in his twenties who knew about that sort of thing. If it turned out he had nothing to contribute to this conversation, the plan was to quickly change the subject to the Star Wars franchise, a subject I'd done slightly less research on, so it was thankful my first guess paid off. What I was actually doing was a basic sleight of hand trick, which I'd learned from a few YouTube tutorials. Instead of depositing the £10,000 in my case, I was adding an additional £100,000 from the money that was already there. I zipped up the case, insisting on carrying it back up myself. We ascended the stairs, still chatting away. I signed the relevant paperwork and departed. And that's that. I left the bank that day £100,000 richer. Later that day, I deposited the £10,000 cash back into my account, then casually transferred it back to Benedict. I didn't mention what I'd done. You, dear listener, are the first person I'm telling. You can keep a secret, right? I honestly don't know what you're going to make of all this. It's a strange thing to have to admit, and yet here I am confessing all. Yes, I robbed a bank of £100,000. I didn't need to do it. I could have easily got a job in a supermarket or something instead. It's not like I'm not employable. Instead, I stole £100,000. In my defence, it belonged to some very rich people who literally didn't care whether it was there or not. Some of them worked on film projects that paid them the equivalent of £100,000 per day. They hadn't even lost a day's wages. Each member had lost a small percentage of their overall investment. Technically, they'd lost a small percentage of a single day's pay, whereas I'd completely changed my life. There you go, trying to justify it again. You know what, I hate it when people use this expression, but for this one time only, I'm going to say it myself. It is what it is. That can't be the last line of this thing, though. I'll have to think about this. I need a better line than it is what it is. Strictly speaking... It's in the past, so it is what it is isn't even an accurate reflection on these events. It was what it was. That's more like it. It will be what it will be. Whatever will be, will be. Whatever it was, was. 
whatever is, is. There you have it. I much prefer that one. Let's go with that. That's your final line. And an extra one for good luck. It's the end. That's the end of Ragbag Presents Brollywood. Phew! There is of course more to come. Episode 10 is going to be an exploration of the making of this series and its accompanying book, Ragbag's Fourth Wall. Check out episode 10 and stick around for the footnotes section as well. That's coming right up after the theme song. If you like what you've heard, please visit my website, frankburton.co.uk, for more information about me and my work. I have another podcast called I Like the Sound. I have written several books, including the first two installments of the Ragbag series, Everything I Am and Getting Away With It. I recently made a four-part podcast series with David Evar from the band Herman Doom. It's called Not On Top, and it is a wonderful thing. I will see you in episode 10, if not for the footnotes. Enjoy yourselves. And just in case you're wondering, yes, there will be another season of Ragbag Presents. It'll be next year. See you next year for that as well. In my song of love, the moon above makes the music. The words are in my heart. My lips may be afraid to serenade you tonight, but the words are in my heart. Roses red in rhythm are swaying and like my heart they're tenderly saying, my dear, I love you so, and even though I can't say it, the words are in my So that really is the end of the series. There we go. There we have it. Well, it's not quite the end of the series, actually. If you care to um, move on to the next one, which will be uh, episode 10, it's the Ragbag's Fourth Wall, where I'm going to be talking about... I haven't recorded it yet, so I don't really know what I'm going to be talking about. But um, I will be talking um, off the top of my head, no less, as I've been doing in these footnote sections. I'm going to talk about how Brollywood was written and um, all the ideas and all the sort of uh, where this came from and where that came from and all that sort of thing, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about the writing process. I won't talk about it now because, uh, you know, I'm going to be talk about it on the next one. So <laughs> I'm not going to say very much on this one because um, it's the end of the series and um, we're all uh, we're all a bit tired now, aren't we? <laughs> time for sleepy. But um, time for sleepy? Did I just say, did I just say time for sleepy? <laughs> 
I'm, I'm really am losing my mind, listeners. I've, I've recorded so many of these now. I'm doing all of these footnote sections. And the last one was really, really long. So I'm going to keep this one nice and short. But um, the uh, one of the footnotes that I've missed out because I got legged up with um, all the references that I was going to put into all these footnote sections. I had this grand idea about having a reference for kind of everything that went into the book. And then I've just kind of got snowed under of doing other things. And, you know, I lost track of what was what. So in the end, I didn't. I started off quite well, didn't I? <laughs> but then I just kind of decided to start entertaining myself just uh, by talking about things that interest me, which, why not? Why can't I do that? It's my show. <laughs> I'm in an argument with myself again. Just arguing with myself. It's an empty room. It's just me in here. Um, I'm managing to somehow just cause like a big rock with myself. It's, it's very odd behavior, isn't it? <laughs> odd business this podcasting lark it's to essentially just talking to one's self really but i'm not talking to myself i'm talking to you dear listener it's just that it's weird that i can't see you uh at this moment in time and, and you're not actually here at this moment in time you will be listening to like an audio version of this thing that i'm saying now but you're not here right now because it's not live you're you're in the future that's weird isn't it you're in the future and i'm in the past isn't that odd? <laughs> it's not often that you hear somebody on a podcast pointing that out, is it? But it's absolutely true. It, this happened in the past. What what you're listening to now happened in the past. This isn't happening right now. It's a recording. It happened in the past. <laughs> I'll tell you what the date is. I'll tell you what date it is I'm recording this on just to give you an idea. Now the the cursor's all over the place. I'm trying to hover over the time. Pretty sure it's. Oh yeah, I can see it anyway. It's the third of July, uh, 2022. That's when I'm recording this. So um, I hope because we because I'm recording kind of the last thing really. It's hopefully um, I've just got to do a bit of editing and stuff, and then I should be able to get the whole series out pretty soon. So we'll see how we get on with that, shall we? I don't know. But um, yeah, there's one footnote that I really wanted to include, but didn't get around to doing it i think it's the only kind of uh political joke in the whole book it, possibly in the whole series i mean i don't really go into politics frank burton the character doesn't really have an, a, any kind of strong political views i don't think well he does but he not he's not aligned to a political party or a political movement he's not talking about joining extinction rebellion or anything like that. He's he's not kind of a political guy in that sense. Not that I am thinking of joining Extinction Rebellion either. I guess it, it would be a good thing to do. But um, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> For one reason and another, I'm not going to do it. It's not because I don't sympathise with, with what they're doing. I, th I think, you know, obviously what they're doing is good, isn't it? it isn't what they're doing good? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah suddenly questioned myself there. I was kind of, oh, is this Extinction Rebellion? Um, are they good? Are they the good guys? Yeah, yes, they are, aren't they? They're the good guys. You're listening in the future. Uh, oh, I was proven right, wasn't I? They were the good guys, those Extinction Rebellion guys. You remember them? It turns out they were right, didn't it? It turned out they were right. You didn't listen to them, did you? Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, so this is the thing that I'm going to play for you now. I'll just play it for you and then I'll tell you what it is. 323. Now that is uh, a group of Tory MPs, um, Tory being uh, members of the Conservative Party for our uh, international listeners. Um, they're the, the ruling political party in the United Kingdom uh, as we speak. Yeah, that occurred way back in 2017 and they were responding to a vote that went on in the House of Commons where a pay increase for public sector workers, including nurses, police and firefighters, was voted down in the House of Commons. Uh, so they're essentially uh, voting for a pay cut for nurses, police and firefighters. And you heard, you heard them, didn't you? You heard them. <laughs> they cheered. They cheered. I made a joke about that in, uh, earlier in the series. Um, and I just wanted to prove to you that that really happened. That really happened. Those people, uh, these are the people who are in charge of the country uh, as we speak. And they cheered when... <laughs> and, and let's just focus on the nurses because, um, you know, it was only a couple of years later that... Uh, we were supposedly supposed to be standing outside cheering for the nurses. And it, it is rather ironic, isn't it, that they were cheering for the nurses' pay cut just a couple of years earlier. Horrible people. Horrible people, aren't they? I don't like them. Um, you know, just, just to take a political view for a change. Uh, you know, the people who are running the country at the moment. I don't like them. I'll be honest with you, I just don't like them. They're, they're not nice people. You know, I wish there was something I could do about it. I don't think there is. That there we have it. So that's the series. That's that. That's Bollywood. And um, I do hope that you've enjoyed it. I've um, just just googled myself because I was looking up. Um, uh, I was just going to reference something. I was going to tell you other things that you can check out. If you like what you've heard, you can check out my other things. I just Google Frank Burton. First thing that comes up is a footballer born in 1890. Frank James Bronco Burton. What's that? Bronco was his nickname. It's in, it's in quotes. Was an English professional footballer who played as fullback for West Ham United and Charlton Athletic in the Football League and also for Queen's Park Rangers and Grays Thurrock United. I didn't know any of this. Born in 1890 in Cheadle. Not far, not far from where I am. I wonder if we're related. Died in 1967 in oh in Auckland, New Zealand. He got about, didn't he? Well, he's the first one. He's he's more famous than me, obviously. Used to be that um, you Google Frank Burton, it would be Frank Burton QC. He would come up. He would be the first one. He would come up, and I would be the second. Now it is uh, Frank Burton, the footballer from early 20th century, and I'm the second one. Uh, <laughs> that means I'm bigger than Frank Burton QC now. Yeah, as a lawyer in the, the US, I think. Obviously, uh, I'm doing better than him now. Maybe he's uh, maybe he's retired. Maybe that's the thing. So, yeah, if you want to just uh, check out some other things that I've been up to, then please, by all means, check out my website. I am going to be updating it. It's rather out of date, I think, my website. Oh, it's very basic anyway. There's not very much on there at the moment. I want it to be a lot better than it is. 
I'm going to be putting some work into the website, but frankburton.co.uk is the address to go to to check out my other work. Um, it's currently the only place that you can see the video series, The Ragbag Rambler, which I absolutely love, and it, it's um, I'm really, really proud of it. I just don't know what to do with this with this uh, thing that I created. So I've just kind of stuck um, these videos on my website, but it's it's great stuff. I, I recommend that you check it out, and um, I really enjoyed um, just making these kind of uh, weird and kind of funny videos that are based on me kind of looking at things on Google Street View and making kind of a montage from them and kind of commenting on them as as this kind of, you know, as the character that we know and love from the podcast. Um, so that's right. I've got a page called Blog. You click on Blog and there's nothing there, um, which is, is kind of a... <laughs> fooled you. Fooled you. I told you there was a blog. I, I just... I, I struggle with this because I, I do it all myself and I try and... Um, I have these ideas for things and then I don't follow through with them sometimes. And that that's uh, just one of those things that... Um, but yeah, you can see it. If you go on the homepage, there's, uh, there's me on... Um, there's me on the TV. There's a clip of my TV appearance on the BBC Ouch uh, Storytelling Live. That That's pretty cool. You should check that out also. And um, yes, I haven't updated it for the Herman Doom podcast. I keep... <laughs> maybe... Maybe... Uh, maybe uh, by the time you listen to this, I'll have updated the website. But at, at, at this moment, on the 3rd of July 2022, I haven't done it yet. Um, so I recorded a four-part podcast series with David Evar from Herman Doon. And um, it's called Not On Top Conversations with um, David Evar. Uh, really is one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, just talking to one of my absolute heroes. Uh, I spent hours and hours talking to, to David to, um, first of all, kind of formulate kind of, you know, we, we had some meetings about kind of what, what we're going to, what we're going to do with this thing we want to, create this kind of four-part story of uh the 20 years of Herman doing the band and um so you know we got really into it and um yeah it was uh great kind of uh putting those things together and he, he's such a great guy he's such a thoughtful and intelligent person and you know he, he really comes across I think in the uh, interviews that I did with him for the Not On Top podcast Hopefully it's it's a it's a great kind of introduction to Herman Doon if you're not familiar or if you're not kind of overly familiar with the band or with with David himself it's kind of a, it's it's a great way in I think I uh, I recommend that you listen to that um the Herman Doon podcast and uh what else I mean you know if you're new to if uh, Brollywood is the only thing that you've listened to of mine um I uh, suggest that you go <laughs> depends on how much time you've got in your hands doesn't it but you know the the, the first hundred episodes of the ragbad podcast are um definitely worth checking out um it uh, ended really well i think I, I was i was really pleased with um episode 100 it was uh me and uncle claude doing um a bunch of silly stuff and playing some great music and uh, we, we we had lots of surprise uh, surprise mystery guests and stuff like that and um I put a lot of work into it so two hours long I think or almost two hours long and we ended with a song and it was um 
it was uh it was a really nice uh thing to do and um so episode 100 was great but also the other 99 episodes were good as well so if you have the time um there's a lot of them so i'm not saying that you should you know listen to every single one or anything like that but you know get a feel for it by you know just clicking on one at random see if you like it you know it's uh it was a great show that and uh obviously i'm continuing in a different kind of form now with this whole ragbag presents thing but uh you know th- those first 100 episodes are great also um w- once i've uh, finally released the <laughs> finally it seems to have been taking me a long time really uh, once i finally released uh, the the brollywood thing then i can move on and do some other things and i'm going to be recording some more well i already have recorded quite a few of uh, the I Like The Sound podcast, which hasn't been active for quite some time now. It's been um, almost a year now since I stopped doing it. Um, I've got lots more to do in that regard. Um, So I'm going to be releasing some new I Like The Sound episodes. But if you've never heard the I Like The Sound podcast, then I'd I'd recommend that you check it out um obviously it's myself so i would say that but uh, it's 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 very interesting really it's kind of developing it was uh, originally just kind of um stories about sound so it's a podcast about sound and all the kind of it's all kind of factual it's kind of very different to to the other show in in that regard into ragbag is basically a fiction podcast and this is an i like the sound is a non-fiction show so it's kind of a a bunch of kind of true stories and bits of factual information and sound effects and uh, weird music and people talking about sounds that they like and uh, yeah there's a lot of that there's lots of lots of um, kind of guests on talking about sounds that they like and uh, there's me talking about sounds that I like and there's bits of poetry and there's it's it's just kind of kind of a, a mixture of loads of different stuff really um, so I'm, I'm really kind of pleased with it, but, um, yeah, it is kind of taking on kind of a life of its own in its own way. Kind of, um, the, I did a couple of episodes. It was just, it was just kind of me on my own kind of recording things, uh, holding the microphone up to stuff and seeing what it sounded like and seeing what the recorded sound was like and stuff like that. So just playing around with different sounds and, uh, yeah, so it's very different to, to my other stuff really. It's the totally different to this totally different to the ragbag thing um but i like it you know i like it it's uh it's good fun and uh i like i say i intend to to do more with it so yeah please do check out i like the sound and uh that's it really i will um i'll let you <laughs> let you get on with your life really and um perhaps you can uh move on to episode 10 and find out all about how Brollywood was created. So why don't you go and do that now? Or not, do whatever you like. But um, yeah, I'll see you soon.